Smoking Snake Podcast. This is episode 79 of the uh, the only English language podcast all about Brazilian football. I'm your host, Peter, joined as always by your host, Enric. And guys, we got a special guest, two in a row here. Uh, we got Gabriel Fu uh, joining us. Gabriel is a journalist, commentator for the Breast of the Row Play. Um, he's also a passionate Sao Paulo FC supporter, and he now has the distinct honor of being the first comedian that we've had on the podcast. Please welcome Gabriel Fool. Gabriel, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Peter. Hi, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys to talk a little bit more about Brazilian football. It's been a while since we know each other, and this is the yeah. first time that we are actually talking to each other kind of live. So it's going to be awesome to talk to people about Brazilian football and your podcast. I mean, it's one of the greatest things that we have in terms of Brazilian football going around the world, because, I mean, there's not much of Brazilian football all over the world. You have the Brazilian play where you cannot watch it with us, but uh, people don't talk about it, I guess. So, and you guys are doing an amazing job spreading the world of the Brazilian football. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. We really appreciate it. And yeah, that's why we do it. We want more English language content all about Brazilian football. Um, Enric, how are you doing tonight, man? How are all good in your world? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good and couldn't be any better. Finally, we get a chance to talk to Gabriel. And as he mentioned, uh, we get to share our ideas about football and Brazilian league. So it's going to be a fun and entertaining episode for sure. Yeah. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to ask Gabriel a few questions and then we're going to kind of open, open it up to, uh, some discussion topics that we'll have related to Sao Paulo and the Brasil de Rao. Uh, season that just concluded, and then also uh, looking ahead to 2024. But Gabriel, let's start with you and your background. Um, where'd you grow up and how'd you kind of find your passion for the game? Well, I grew up in Guarujá, which is a, a city very close to Santos. We're just a ferry boat away from Santos. And actually, I'm down here right now with my mom, spending, spending my holidays with her. And... I mean, I was always passionate about football. Uh, in the beginning, my family actually is all made of Sao Paulo fans. So my grandpa is a Sao Paulo fan. My father is a Sao Paulo fan. My uncles, my cousins. So we are like 25 people supporting Sao Paulo in my own family. So it's the kind of love that runs in the DNA, you know. It's something that is running through our veins. And I was very passionate about São Paulo. And here in Guarujá, we used to have a club called Associação Desportiva Guarujá, or ADG, as we used to call here in Brazil. And it was actually a very, very small club, played the fourth division of the São Paulo State Championship. Uh, players would receive like 200 reais for a game, something like this, kind of uh, kind of an amateur league, or almost an amateur league. It was an amateur, but it's kind of. And I used to go to every game of ADG, here at the Stadium Antonio Fernandes when I was probably 14 to 16, actually 13 to 16. And when I went there for maybe the fourth or fifth time, I got to see some journalists working with the club and 
commentating on the game and doing some broadcast, something like this. And I watched that and was like, man, this is what I want to do for life. I mean, if I can live to commentating on games, that's what I want to do. And since then, I got this in my head. I may have went uh, a little outside of my dream for a while. I worked with advertising as well after going out of college. But I studied journalism and been there since probably 2009, actually. 2009 was my first job as a journalist. So it's been around 14 years already working with journalism and sports, especially. Nice. And yeah, you mentioned working with journalism and doing that in the, at the very young time or early time in your life. So I like how you started this early and you were kind of decided of, you know, this is what you want to do. And it's very a uh, nice path in your career. But going back to supporting Sao Paulo, I was curious to know, did you have any obstacles while you were a fan of the team? I know you said your family members supported the team as well, but usually, like, for example, me, back in my time, all my family members would support clubs from Syria in Italy. And most of my family members are also Germany fans. So I sort of had to decide and push away from what everybody was doing and choose my own team and my own club, being Brazil and Santos and other European clubs. So did you have anything like that back in your early uh, childhood? Well, uh, so back in 2014, everybody was happy with you. That's what happened in your family, just <laughs> to be sure. But I mean, uh, no, I, I think I didn't have any obstacles. I mean, one thing that wasn't good is that I used to live here in Guarujá and Sao Paulo, of course, it's an hour and a half drive away from here. So I couldn't go to every single game. But as soon as I moved to Sao Paulo back in 2005, I, I think I went to every game from Sao Paulo, maybe 150 games in three to four years, something like this. But I didn't have any obstacles. I mean, uh, when you were a kid, everybody's trying to make a supporter of their team here in Brazil. So my mom used to date a guy. My, my parents are not together since, actually since before I was born. And my mom used to date, my mom used to date a guy who was a Palmeiras fan. He wanted me to become a Palmeiras fan and he did everything so I could become a Palmeiras fan. And back in the days when I was a kid, back in 1994, 1993, Palmeiras actually had a pretty good team. Uh, São Paulo, of course, was winning the World Cup by the time World Club Championship, by the time two ice in a row. But Palmeiras also had a very good team, especially in 1995, 1996. And he did everything so I could become a Palmeiras fan. And I I think I was a Palmeiras fan from like for like two months or so. <laughs> but my family members were like, no, you're going to be a Sao Paulo fan. We're going to take you to a Sao Paulo game and you're going to become a Sao Paulo fan. We're going to do everything as well. And one thing that's very curious about this is that my father, the first game my father took me, was I think it was 1993 or 1994 I'm not certain right now it was Sao Paulo against Paysandu so he, he he took me to that game because he said okay Paysandu is not one of the most traditional teams in Brazil we're gonna beat them the kid's gonna be happy he's gonna be a Sao Paulo fan but after all Sao Paulo lost the game 2-1 but I was so young and not taking care of not paying attention to the game that he actually lied to me that we won the game by 3-0 <laughs> And I believed him for like uh, almost my whole life until I went out to research on the internet and I found out that Sao Paulo had lost that game. And I was like, did we lose by 2-1? And he said, yeah, I lied to you. <laughs> and and I believed him and I became a Sao Paulo fan since then. 
And right now I'm living kind of the same situation with my godson. Uh, my cousin had a son. His wife is actually a Palmeiras fan and her family is all made of Palmeiras fans. And now we're kind of battling. So I'm doing everything so he can become a Sao Paulo fan. I already gave him a jersey, uh, football, everything from Sao Paulo, even socks and boots and shorts, everything, everything. But on the other side, her family is giving everything from Palmeiras as well. So the kids like divided right now. But uh, as my my cousin said to me, well, he didn't decide it yet because he's only like four months old. So he's not gonna, he's not even close to deciding it. But he's already a Copa do Brasil and Brasileirão champion the same year. <laughs> if you think through. Well, hopefully he doesn't become a Sao Paulo fan or a Palmeiras. He supports this team right here. Despite... Uh, it, it won't happen. <laughs> There's zero chance of that happening. <laughs> I understand now that Santos is in second division. You, you might be right, but if we manage to stay up, uh, who knows? Maybe something else would have happened. But going back to your uh, career again, you started working as a journalist. I'm sure that uh, doing that, you did it in Portuguese. But later on, uh, as you currently do, you work for Brasileiro Play, uh, speaking in English. How did this opportunity come about and was it difficult for you to speak the, another language compared to your native one? Well, uh, this opportunity actually came like three years ago, maybe, uh, in the final round of the Brasileirão. I, I don't know, I don't remember if it was three or two years ago, but I think it was the last round of the Brasileirão. Uh, they needed a lot of commentators because, of course, every game is happening in the same hour, so simultaneously, so they need like 10 commentators, 10 color commentators as well. And they put me to do a game with Anthony Wells, our great friend. It was Santos against Cuiabá. I think the game ended 1-1. I'm not certain right now. And I mean, it was pretty good because I have a really good background in terms of uh, being an analyst for football because after I studied journalism, I got graduated. I got my degree in journalism in Brazil. I went abroad, I studied a little bit in the Football Association on scouting and especially developing youngsters as a kids coach. And I used to work as an analyst here in Brazil in some clubs, especially in the second division of the the São Paulo State Championship. So I worked for a few teams here and I actually got a lot of, uh, let's say, a lot of uh, degrees in being a coach, trying to be a coach or something like this and trying to be a scout here in Brazil. So I actually have a very good background in terms of uh, teaching kids about football and trying to find out talents and about tactics. And one of my professors back in when I was studying, it was Fernando Diniz, him and Eduardo Barros. Wow. So yeah, I have a, I have one of the best professors. And guys, Regina was also a teacher of mine. So I had a really good professors back then. And I try, I'm always trying to study a little bit more. And since I started studying, they give me this opportunity to be a commentator. I was a commentator in some radio stations in Brazil back here in 2014, 15, 16, and so on. And they gave me this opportunity to do it in English, then to do it in Portuguese as well. And things just enrolled this way. I mean, I, I'm not even sure how I know how, how I know to speak how I speak English because I how I did how I learned how to speak English because when I was like 11 years old I kind of already knew it 
And my mom sent me to uh, an English class here in Brazil, very well known, but not much, not very strong. And I already knew pretty much everything. So she took me out of the class and sent me to a private teacher. And the private teacher said, he already kind of knows everything. You need to take him to a better, a better school. And she took me to a better school and I did some tests over there. And all they said was like, okay, I can put you in our final class and you take the Cambridge, the Cambridge test after all. And that's how I, I don't know how I know. I just know, you know, <laughs> it's kind of, I, I know it's not perfect. It's not native like Anthony or like um, John Coltrane or those guys who actually lived abroad. Yeah, it's one experience that I didn't have yet. Maybe in the future, I will have this experience of living abroad. But I think it's kind of working pretty well so far. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you said a lot there. And and I just want to make this clear because Santos just hired Fab, uh, Fabio Carilli. Um, and so, you know, when he inevitably gets fired, uh, I'll submit your <laughs> name. I'll submit your name to Santos and you can you can take over in the mold of Fernando Denise, uh, as I'm sure he probably taught you a lot. So uh, you're definitely gonna be on the short list. Um, we've talked about it already. You're a Sao Paulo supporter. This was a huge year for the club. <clears throat> Maybe not as strong as, as a finish in the league, um, but it was just a historic year. Um, you had some huge players come back to the club You've got an exciting talent uh, pool of young kids. And of course, you won the Copa de Brazil, uh, an immense feat uh, in, in the process, beating Palmeiras, being Corinthians, and finally Flamengo. Um, how are you going to look back on this year um, as, a, as a supporter of the Tricolor? Well, as a supporter, I gotta say that it was fantastic to win the Copa do Brasil for the first time ever, beating Corinthians, beating Palmeiras, especially beating Palmeiras in their own home, like at, at the Islands Park. I mean, couldn't be any better. Beating Flamengo in Rio de Janeiro as well. I mean, it's just amazing. It's one of the thing, those things that will be in your memory forever. Okay, but as a journalist, I try to see things in a different way. And one of the things, if you, you I know you guys uh, always watch our broadcast in the Brazilian play, I said a million times, I said, Sao Paulo is going to finish between the ninth position or the 13th position in the Brazilian. It's going to be in the middle of the table. Nowhere further from that. It's, gonna, not, it's not going to be even close to the G6. Because I was certain that was what's going to happen with Sao Paulo. Because in the league, you need some consistency. And Sao Paulo didn't have it. So they gave, uh, they went all in for the, the cup because mm -hmm. that's where Sao Paulo could do something because you need like four or three good games and you are able to clinch a trophy. That's the only chance Sao Paulo had was to win the cup. So they went all in in this kind of situation. That's why even though they won the Copa do Brasil, it's a very uh, huge money prize for the Copa do Brasil. Sao Paulo is still uh, in debt. So there are still 97 million uh under what they should have so they will need to sell someone it's going to probably be Beraldo in the very probably in the next week or in the beginning of, of January for sure they're going to sell someone it's probably going to be Beraldo I'm hoping that uh it's not to PSG I'm definitely hoping he's he goes to a better club uh not that I don't like PSG but it's awful for developing players and for developing players I mean if he goes to Helmut again I'm going to be much happier 
I think it's going to be a very good duel with Eder Militão for sure. It's going to be a whole Cochia duel for Real Madrid. But I think uh, we need to take care when you look at the season for Sao Paulo. It's great to win the Copa do Brasil. It's amazing. It's a memory for all the fans. But we need to be reasonable and look forward for the next year. And I don't see right now Sao Paulo in a very good path for 2024. So the team needs to keep Lucas Moura. Without Lucas Moura, there's not a single chance they would do a good Libertadores. Uh, maybe Ramos Rodriguez can play a little better, have some more minutes for the team. I'm not sure if Rodrigo Nestor is going to stay with the team. He's going to be back probably in March or April from his injury. It's going to be a very tough loss for Sao Paulo. I'm not sure how Bobagilio is going to play as well. Uh, Gabriel Neves is not feeling up to the expectation. So things are kind of blurred for every Sao Paulo fans for 2024 right now. Yeah, there, there's a lot of question marks like you alluded to. Um, but it, it was awesome to see them flying this year, especially in... Uh, in the Copa do Brasil um, and a little bit on the continent as well. Lucas Mora is so good. And yeah, you know, James Rodriguez, I said on the podcast, he looked a little bit out of shape. Uh, if he can, if he stays with Sao Paulo, gets back into shape, more minutes, like you said, uh, he's still got an elite passing game. And I really think that he could help out. Um, I got to ask, how did you celebrate the win? Were you in the Were you in the stadium? What What did you do to celebrate? Yes, I was in the stadium. Yes, I was in the stadium. I went to every single game because, fortunately, I was working on the at the league, so I could be in the games, in the cup games. And I was with some friends of mine who doesn't reveal their team, so I'm not gonna tell you which okay. friends of mine were there with me as well. But they also work for the Brazilian play in Portuguese, and it was amazing, man. It was like. Uh, it, one of the good things about this, one of these friends who actually works as a commentator as well, and he's one of the best, so bad that he doesn't want to reveal his team, but he, right before, when I got the tickets, I, I got the tickets and I said to him, man, we're going and that's it, we're going to the final and everything. He said to me, uh, if Rodrigo Nestor scores the title goal, I'm going to tattoo his name on my butt, <laughs> on my right cheek. He said exactly, or left cheek. I'm not sure right now, but okay. And I I recorded this audio. Of course, I saved it after <laughs> all because him a voice message on WhatsApp, and I created the group chat to arrange the things so we could go to the game, so we could drink before going to the game and everything. And the group chat was named uh, Rodrigo Nestor's goal at the 45th minute, <laughs> and it's exactly what happened. It was like in the stoppage time of the first half. <laughs> and when he scored the goal, I just looked at him and said, you're going to tattoo this shit, man. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, you're going to tattoo. I'm paying for that tattoo. You're going to tattoo. And he's like, his mouth is something that we need to be aware of because we went to a game from Sao Paulo in the Cup uh, a couple of years ago, Sao Paulo against America, and Thiago Couto was the goalkeeper for Sao Paulo who plays for Juventude right now. Uh, and he said, if Thiago Couto uh, saves a penalty, I'm buying his jersey. And out of nowhere, a penalty happens and Thiago Couto saves it. It's oh like, oh. <laughs> what are the odds of like a penalty happening and the goalkeeper saving the goal, the penalty? A debuting goalkeeper saving the penalty. I mean, what are the odds of that happening? This guy this guy has the mouth. And after all, we just uh, went outside of the stadium in the surroundings, drank a lot of beer, had some good pretty new sandwich. That's one of the things you got to try when you get here in Brazil. It's a very traditional stadium snack. 
And that's it. That's how I celebrated it. After all, it was amazing. Well, I'm sure you had a lot of fun, you and your friends. And I hope that friend got that tattoo. But going <laughs> he didn't. Oh, I'm pissed at him. I'm going to talk to him in a party tomorrow. And I'm going to talk to him and say, where is the tattoo, man? Not that I want to see your butt, but where is the tattoo? <laughs> yeah, he better get that tattoo. And going back to that final, uh, and you mentioned the 45th minute goal by Nestor. It's something that me and Peter kept talking about this throughout every week of the Brasilia Rao, Sao Paulo scoring in the 45th minute. I don't know what happened uh, during those matches. They did that in the final against Flamengo. They did that in the match before when they won 1-0 with Caleri, who also scored in the 45th. And I think the match right after the Copa do Brasil, when you guys played Coritiba and won like 4-0, I think you guys had like three goals uh, offside in the first half. There was another yeah. goal in the 45th, so something extraordinary kept happening there. But going back to the whole season of Sao Paulo and looking at it not only as a fan, but also as a commentator, uh, what do you think of the the coaches? Because you guys started with Rogerio Senni and then after some really bad results, and of course the first one when you guys lost the first match of Brasil against Botafogo, 2-1, to one, uh, and tied in the Copa Sudamericana, it set the end of his term in Sao Paulo, which was, I believe, the second term. And then you guys hired someone new, someone who is experienced in Brazil, someone who had just one Copa de Brazil with Flamengo last season. So how do you compare those two coaches and are you happy with Dorival Jr. at the moment? Yes, I think Dorival is a very good coach. I mean, he's nothing new for Sao Paulo. Uh, it's, the, it's another spell for Dorival Jr. in Sao Paulo. And if, when you look at the moves from the board, it's pretty much the same thing that the last board did. I mean, back in 2017, when they fired Rogério, they actually signed Dorival Jr. as well. So it's pretty much the same thing happening over and over again. That's why I said uh, things wouldn't be different in this scenario because they are doing the same actions. So well, we're doing the same actions and expecting a different result. It's not going to happen. It's just uh, pretty logical to talk about this. But I think Dorival Jr. and Rogério Senni, any of the coaches can do a good work if the board is consistent, if you have a great game philosophy for the team, if you're working in the right direction. Any coach is going to do a good job because they, they have the knowledge. It's not the, You don't get to be a Serie A coach if you're not a good coach. It doesn't matter who you are. So Renato Gaúcho is a good coach. Dorival Jr. is a good coach. Uh, Rogério is a great coach as well. Uh, all of them, they're all good coaches. You are, they are between the best 20 coaches in Brazil. So there's no doubt about it. So, so, but sometimes the team is not on the same page. And that's the problem. Sometimes the team is asking for one thing and the coach is not able to do that thing. Sometimes you have a, a very particular style of playing and the coach is not on the same page of this style of playing. So you, you need to develop something, a system that is actually has the coaches and the players and the philosophy of the game all agreeing with each other. That's the deal. So when you look at the teams in Brazil, sometimes it looks like they choose the coaches randomly, you know? Uh, just like Santos, I mean, you change for, for a coach that's very offensive and then you go to a coach that's kind of defensive. So where is the where is the logic here? Uh, when you look at Corinthians, and one of the things that I really like about Fabio Cariri is that when Corinthians hired Thiago Nunes after firing Cariri back in the days, uh, Kagini said Thiago Nunes is going to have a very hard time 
trying to put his style of playing Corinthians because that's not the core of Corinthians. Corinthians is, doesn't play like that. So it's going to be tough for him. He's a good coach, but he's not, uh, he doesn't have the same philosophy of Corinthians and not the same philosophy as, my, as me. So it's going to be tough for him. And I mean, it's, it actually happened. And Corinthians has this defensive philosophy for their team, trying to play in the counterattacks. They had like Manu Menezes, Chichi, Fabio Caridis, three coaches in a row with the same kind of play, same style of play, and that works for them. And I don't see many other teams uh, agreeing in the style of play that they have. So they are choosing coaches randomly. That's what happened with Flamengo. They signed Dorival Junior, not, know, not knowing actually what to expect from him. He won a couple of titles, just like Rogério Senna actually won as well. And then they signed someone else because they were expecting something else that I don't think they were sure what it is. And this keeps happening over and over again with pretty much every single team in Brazil. So I, I like Dorival Junior. I think he's a good coach. I think Rogério is an amazing coach as well, develop, developing himself right now. And it doesn't matter which who, who is the coach. If the philosophy of the board and the team is in the right direction, the coach is going to be good. And right now, I think they are in a good mood between the board and Dorival Junior, but I don't know until when it will last, for sure. Well, personally, I like him as a coach. I think he was wonderful in Flamengo. He's doing an amazing job at Sao Paulo. And I liked him even when he managed Santos back in 2010. I think he won Copa do Brazil with Santos back then. So uh, he has something or history with the Copas. And going back to the commentaries that you guys do, uh, you guys are very lucky that Brasileira play doesn't have Copa do Brazil because at those times you guys can use this opportunity and attend matches. So it's actually fun. Now, shifting gears from the coach to the actual players, uh, with a huge variety of players, starting from the age of 16 all the way to the late 30s, Brazil is known for the talents that they have all over the competition and players that they ship to Europe. Can you name some of the players that maybe Sao Paulo has uh, at the moment, but they're currently under the radar, underrated players that could be promising um, for the future in the coming years and leading to the next World Cup in 2026. Definitely, definitely. I'm not sure if to the next World Cup in 2026. I think Beraldo is probably going to be there. I don't see Beraldo not going to the national team the next few years. I mean, he's definitely the best defender in Brazil right now in terms of comparing his age, of course, uh, putting to, up to his age level, for sure. But, I mean, it's terrific what this kid can do. I mean, he can think of the game he has a very uh huge IQ in terms of uh, being a defender but not only that but when he has the ball he's just perfect he he's so calm he can make decisions and even when he deal with like Luis Suarez a very experienced player and well known for being very provocative throughout the game he was able to get in his head I mean I, I couldn't expect that happening but when you look at Sao Paulo's youth system right now of course, William Gomes is the best player in the youth system right now for Sao Paulo. He's only 17 years old. He's He already joined the first team. Uh, shot the cut that hits the bar made from him in the last round of the Brasileirão. I mean, a wonderful cut. He's the best one. But we also, also have some other good kids. Uh, Henrique do Carmo is a very talented kid. He has the dribble. The ball always good to his feet. It's amazing to see his him, him dribbling around the, game, the, the pitch. 
Uh, you have Lucas Ferreira, who is an offensive midfielder, not in the same level, but very good. Uh, Rio Francisco, the striker, scored more than a goal per game in the under-17 this season. Amazing to see as well. Uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of Brenner sometimes. He has the the knowledge to... He, he knows how to read the defense. So he's always finding the gaps to attack the spaces. It's amazing to see. Not the most skilled one, but very good breeding the defense. And who else is really good at? Ah, definitely Marcus Hikalma, left back for São Paulo. Uh, uh, Igor Felizberto as well, as also a side back. Uh, Igor Rodonis, a defender. All of them in the under-17. The under-17 for São Paulo is just amazing. Is one of the best in Brazil right now. But if you're looking for players to join the national team the next few years, I would advise you to take a look at Steven William from Palmeiras because he's the best player in the under-17 generation for Brazil for sure. So take a look at him because this kid's going to be maybe even bigger than Hendrik. I mean, Hendrik's uh, outstanding. He's definitely going to be in the national team for a long time. He's going to be the number nine for Brazil. Unfortunately, for AD, it's not you, Eric. But... Estevão is pretty much in the same level. Pretty much in the same level. Take a look at Estevão, Matheus Zep from Atlético Mineiro, Lohan from Flamengo is also amazing to watch. Uh, these kids are definitely, if not, if they are not in the national team, they're going to be fighting for a spot in the call-ups for sure. Yeah, I um, watched some of that U-17 World Cup uh, where, where a bunch of those names that you mentioned. Uh, we've got Copinha coming up, so... I'm not sure how many of those players are, are going to be featured in Sao Paulo's squad, but um, or any of the squads. But I think Estevão, Messinho, as they as they used to call him, or maybe still do, uh, should be there. And and yeah, he's he's a player. Um, yeah, that's that's great. Sao Paulo has been, I mean, um, a, a factory of youth talent. I think it's up there with Santos. And like you said, Palmeiras is really churning out a, a lot of a lot of quality players. Um, Let's shift into some of the discussion topics Enric and I have uh, kind of prepared. Um, obviously, you've seen tons of action this past season. Um, and I want to ask you where, you know, where do you maybe rank this season in terms of rest of the route, if you even can rank them? And what will you remember it by? I mean, you had the ascent of Luis Suarez or not ascent, you know, just the maintaining of what a iconic and legendary player he is. You had the complete bottle job from Botafogo. You had Palmeiras, just the machine mowing down teams and getting back to that top spot. Um, and then of course you had the historic and tragic relegation of Santos. How are you going to remember this year? Well, I mean, I think this is one of the best Brazilians we ever had, especially since the running point system began. I think this this is the best. Unfortunately for Botafogo fans, I, I'm pretty sure the the blowout from Botafogo is going to be remembered forever because this is the worst thing I have ever seen in my life. i never seen anything like this because it's not only that Botafogo was able to do a 13-point gap in the leadership, but the, the way that things happened was just cruel to the fans. I mean, couldn't be any worse. It's like, I mean, you are 3-0 ahead Palmeiras. You have 3-1 uh, with a penalty kick to yourself with a red pretty much 35 minutes of the second half gone. So not much further to play. You missed the penalty and you concede not only a tie, you concede a comeback at 4-3. I mean, it's amazing because it actually gave everyone a 
light bill of what Enric is able to do because the kid just won that game by himself for sure. It was amazing what he has done in that game. And this shows us what he's able, he can be able to do in the future because he won't get better. He won't get worse in any time. So he won't get better uh, in the future. And But for I, I think that was the game that got in the minds of Botafogo. And I'm pretty sure Lucio Flavio has a very big role in in that in this season because if you talk to any Botafogo fan, you probably say that Lucio Flavio is the biggest loser they have ever seen because he some absolves from him as a player were kind of absurd, kind of sad to see. Uh, the Chororo, which is one of the one of the memes that we have here in Brazil, uh, when Botafogo lost and they went to kind of cry in the in the press conference was kind of weird to see. Uh, the protagonist was Lucio Flavio, and Lucio Flavio he said, "I don't, I don't know if you guys saw that, but he said that when they were winning three 0 against Palmeiras in the halftime, he went to the locker room and said to the players, there's only one way of losing this game: someone gets sent off.'" Why do you say that to your players, man? I mean, that's not the kind of speech you want to give to your players when they're winning 3-0. Why are we looking for a possibility to lose the game? You shouldn't be looking to this. You should you should have went to the locker room with the players and said, so there's not a chance we're going to lose this game. Uh, kick the ball out of the field. There's no game happening after this. The, far, the second half won't happen. Just that, don't let the ball roll. You kill the game. Kill the game. You don't let the other team has an opportunity to get back. I mean, that just sort of shows who Botafogo are, especially after their Luis Castro left the team in mid-June or mid-July. And I kept calling this throughout the whole year. Ever since he left, I had this feeling of Botafogo not being the same without the, the coach because I felt like all the best results that they got from the beginning of the season were because the team and the coach were united. And once that bond was broken and he left and went to Al Nassar, then... You can bring anyone you want. You can bring Abel Ferreira to a new team. I don't think he can win anything for Botafogo because he's not used to any players and the players are not used to him. So it was always going to be difficult. Yeah, and I think uh, I think more has come out on some of the players uh, and, and the coaches, like you said, Lucio Flavio's almost arrogance. You know, weeks before the Palmeiras disaster, they I, I think they had probably assumed that they would win. They, they It was already in their back pocket. And it just goes to show you what a strong mentality is required. And let's also not forget that they did the 4-3 versus Palmeiras. And then they, then I think it was the next week, right? They did the same thing against Gremio. It was yes. ridiculous. And it just, you're right. That game broke them. And it was, it was a sad sight to see. Yes, it was sad to see. And as I said, uh, you were perfect there. I think after Luis, Luis Castle left the team, things just went downhill. Uh, it doesn't matter who is coaching. And one of the things that actually got me is that Claudio Casapo was actually doing a very good job after Luis Castro left. I mean, Casapo was doing an amazing job. He won all of the four games he got into. He went to as a coach, won all the four games. And not that they were like easy games. I think he won against Flamengo. I think he won against Palmeiras as well. I mean, all the difficult games went to the hands of Claudio Casapo. He won all of them. And then he was sent to Belgium. For what? I mean... Uh, that's one of the decisions from John Texter that I don't agree with. Uh, he sent the guy to Belgium when he's coaching your main team in Brazil, maybe reaching a title that 
doesn't happen since 1995. So it's been a very long time. The fans are going crazy. They're going insane. I mean, what are you thinking, man? And I, I, I got a very good uh, tweet that I said that Botafogo lost the title in the moment that Cristiano Ronaldo made the phone call to Luis Castro and said, don't you want to coach me here? I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo took this title away from Botafogo for sure. It's even weird to see how, I mean, this is like the butterfly effect. We call yeah. that in Brazil. Because if Cristiano Ronaldo didn't go to Al Nasser, probably Luis Castro wouldn't leave Botafogo and Botafogo would win the title. I mean, that's the deal. And when you said about the arrogance from Lucio Flavio, not sure if he's actually arrogant, but he's kind of uh, always in the victim role, you know? He's mm -hmm. always playing the victim in every single situation. He's always the victim. It's, it's kind of like he's almost about to cry every single time he's giving a press conference or something like this. He's always the victim. And this one of this is one of the things that actually may have cost Botafogo the title. And as I said, when he tells us that he went to the locker room and said there's only one way of losing these games, getting a player sent off, that's definitely you're looking for losing the game. So you're trying to find a way to lose this. You're not trying to find a way to win. That's the deal. Right. And you mentioned uh, John Texter and going to him as a, a leader and an owner of the club. Don't you think it's kind of out of how he put, let's say, all the eggs in one basket? Obviously, he's the owner of Botafogo, but he owns two big clubs in Europe, one of them being Crystal Palace in Premier League and the other Lyon. And when you look at both of these teams this year, let's forget about Crystal Palace because they usually finish around the 14th, 15th spot in the Prem. But Lyon currently in the relegation zone, like, I don't know what the hell is going on with that team, but it feels like Luis Castro sort of left every club that he had aside, focusing only in Botafogo. And at the end, there was no end result. So at the end of the day, it's really tragic how you even mentioned Botafogo should have won this competition And after that match against Palmeiras, of course, it was a bad result. But even the quotes that Luis or that uh, John Texer came after and said in live TV, they were nice. Uh, I was watching and laughing at the same time. But honestly, like this is definitely something that you don't mention in live TV. And how do you even think about like somebody corrupting the league or corrupting the club? Like that's something that any fan would think of, but not the president, don't you think? Well, uh, I think he touched a very, very delicate spot over there in terms of Brazilian football because, of course, we have a very, very tough situation in our national confederation right now. Uh, we got two presidents sent off already. Um, corruption does exist in Brazilian football for sure. But I don't think that the, they have a scheme for the championship to make it more competitive or to take the title away from someone. I, I don't I don't agree with that. I think some some things should be investigated in Brazilian football. Of course, I think we need to have more professional referees. Officiating could be better for sure. Uh, the VAR system could be upgraded definitely. But and and that's it. But uh, in the way that he said things is it looked like he was playing the victim as well. I mean he just got the Maybe the, I mean, I, I think that I think that the mentality from Lucio Pablo was contagious to him, maybe, because he just played the victim over there. Of course, you need to address some stuff in the National Confederation here in Brazil, for sure. Uh, nobody's happy with that. 
Uh, and when you address this, you need to look at the national team for definitely. Uh, I love Fernand Diniz. I love the style of play from him. I, I really like how he manages every team. Uh, of course, he has a lot, a lot to develop in his career yet, but I love him. I, I love the way he plays. But you can't have a part-time coach mm. in the national team. It doesn't make sense. I mean, you're the best national team in the world. You won five World Cups. You have a lot of money because you sell every single friendly match to obnoxious places. And you have a part-time coach when you, while you wait for another coach to join you. And you're not even sure this coach is, will actually join the team. We're, we're not even sure if Carlo Ancelotti will actually be the coach of Brazil uh, when his contract with Real Madrid ends. So... It doesn't even make sense. It's so amateur to do that. So amateur. I mean, he was playing the final of the Libertadores and he went to play the qualifiers of the World Cup like a day after. Which time he was thinking about the call-up, watching the games to do a call-up. When did he watch the Premier League to call up the players? I mean, of course, he has a, a team behind him doing this kind of stuff, but he should do as well. And not it's not a I'm not criticizing for Nanjinis. I love the way he plays. I love how he manages the team. As I said, he has a lot to develop yet. But I mean, doesn't make sense to have a part-time coach in Brazil when you could have pretty much anyone in the world. Yeah, and and quickly, uh, how do you? What are your thoughts on on Carlo Ancelotti joining? I mean, it seems likely from a lot of media, but I mean, there's still no confirmation. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where I could really see it going sideways and there's no once I'm not going to believe it until I see that official announcement. Uh, what are your thoughts? And, and do, in the best case, do you think it'll work? Uh, I'm not going to believe until I see Carlo Ancelotti confirming it. It might be an official announcement from CBF. I won't believe them for sure. <laughs> I, I, will, I will only believe it when I see Carlo Ancelotti coach in Brazil. That's when I'm going to believe it. I think it's going to be pretty good. I mean, he knows how to handle the best players that we had have, which is Rodrigo and Vinicius Jr. right now. So he knows how to handle these kids. And they are the future of Brazilian football for sure right now. Hendrik's going to be as well, one of the major players for Brazil. Maybe Neymar is going to get back on track. Uh, I mean, he's the best player in Brazil for the last 25 years or so. Uh, after Ronaldo, there's nobody even close to him. Uh, maybe Ronaldinho is close to him, but... He's the best player we had in a long time. And he's the best player of this generation by a large margin. And Carlo Ancelotti actually knows how to deal with Rodrigo Vinicius Jr. Might know how to deal with Hendrik. He knows how to deal with superstars. He has been working with them for a long time. Not sure if Chichi knew how to deal with the superstars. Uh, even though I, I do think that his works were was really, really good. I mean... He won the qualifiers easily in every single year that he had to play the qualifiers. He went to the World Cup, went to the semifinal, to the quarterfinals, and did a very good job in the quarterfinals. Almost won both of them. I think we played better than Belgium in 2018. I think we played much better than Croatia in 2012 and 2022. And but it is what it is. I mean, you you can't predict everything. Uh, Brazil played better than Croatia, scored the goal with Neymar, and then Fred goes to the attack to give an option for I don't know what. But even with the counterattack from Croatia, uh, 
there were two players in front of uh the the shot. The shot actually gets deflected. I mean, is the possibilities of scoring that goal were were very small. And this kind of stuff happens just like it happened for Rodrigo Nestor. There was a study here in Brazil that showed that there was a 3% chance of Nestor scoring that goal in that shot. But it happened. That's football. You can't predict everything because sometimes the 1% chance, chance happens. And tomorrow we're going to have Fluminense against uh, Manchester City for the World Club Championship. Uh, the betting places, the betting houses, they are saying there's a 50, 15% chance of Fluminense winning the title. I, I think it's actually a little bit lower than that. But there's a chance and that can happen. Yeah, I saw that. I was even looking just a couple hours ago and I forgot to send this to Peter, but looking at the odds, uh, I think Manchester City had like 1.26 uh, decimal odds to win it. And it's, I understand that they are the, the UCL champions, but it's a bit too low. Like it should be more of like 25% to 75% or 40 to 60. I mean, anything can happen. I hope Fluminense can win it, but I wouldn't be sure if, City is going to have an easy run like that against a Brazilian team that won Libertadores. Well, I think Fluminense couldn't have a better time to face Manchester City right now. Uh, they don't have Erling Haaland. They don't have Kevin De Bruyne. So the coup is also out. So th three major players for them will be out. But that's the deal when you're facing Manchester City. Haaland's out, but who don't know what is, is in. Kevin De Bruyne is out, but Bernardo Silva is in. So... You're gonna get screwed either way. It doesn't matter who is in. And I even think that Alvarez is the worst scenario for Fluminense because they have Fernandinho and they like to pass the ball in the defense. And Alvarez is a much better defender than Holland, so he can pressure the defense much more than Holland do. And imagine you have British, uh, you have Alvarez, and you have folding all of them with the speed pressuring the defense. This is gonna be tough for Fernandinho for sure. I don't know how the game is gonna roll. I'm gonna definitely watch him drinking a beer or two or three or four, maybe, <laughs> but because I'm not gonna be working on that one. But I think it's gonna be a very good game. And when you look at the past World Club Championships, uh, Palmeiras gave a hard time uh, to Chelsea. Uh, Flamengo gave a hard time to Liverpool. They didn't win. They didn't win, but they gave a hard time. It was a very even game for both of those matchups. I mean, the, actually, the times that Brazil won the World Club Championship were maybe the worst. Uh, the worst games for Brazilians. I mean, São Paulo was just crushed by Liverpool. Liverpool got disallowed in three goals. Uh, they had so many chances. Rogério Senna did a miracle game. And the same happened to Corinthians against Chelsea in 2012, for sure. Uh, it was a goal scored by Paulo Guerreiro and then Castro just saving the team after and after and after and after. I mean, that's football. Sometimes you play badly and you win. Sometimes you play really well and you lose. That's football. Yeah, and I think I think Fluminense are in a lot more trouble than, than either of them because Dini's always concedes, as I was texting Enric earlier this week. I think it could be – there could be a high score. But, you know, Man City might be a little less motivated. Uh, but, yeah, it'll be interesting. I'll be with – like you, watching, uh, but unfortunately – uh, I will be at work, so no, no beers will be involved. <laughs> <laughs> but one good thing that I have to, is said that this might be a high-scoring game. It might be because two, the two teams will be battling for possession and passing the ball around. I mean, it's a position game thrown 
Pepe Guardiola against a non-positional game from Fernando Diniz. So they're opposite. And even though they like to have the ball, they have opposite styles of playing the game. And there's a Twitter account that I just saw today that in July 8th, they say it was 8th of July that they said, uh, I can see Fluminense beating Boca Juniors by 2-1 and winning the Libertadores and beating Manchester City by 5-4 and winning the World <laughs> Cup Championship back in July. So they predicted the first result. Let's check if they will predict the second one as well. I think that's too many goals. And there were probably Flamengo fans or Santos fans <laughs> going back to that 2011 match between Flamengo and Santos. But I hope it happens. Nine goals, thriller, and Fluminense lifting the trophy. I'll take it uh, any day of the week. So it's been 11 years since uh, a South American team has won that trophy. As you mentioned, Corinthians with Casio and Rafael Guerrero, Guerrero, but you mentioned Enrique a couple of times in the podcast, and we can't talk about him without talking about his other young talent, Vitor Roque, who is almost going to Barcelona. What do you think of him as a player? Do you think he's matured enough to move into Europe and looking forward into uh, next year, I believe he'll be available for Barcelona in the match that they will play away against Las Palmas. So how do you view him as a player and do you think he can replace uh, their, their current striker, Lewandowski? Well, it's very tough to replace Lewandowski. I mean, you're talking about probably one of the best strikers in the world for the last decade, decade. So, I mean, you have him, you have Suarez, you have uh, Holland. They are all in a different level, for sure. Harry Kane, when you look at these players, these players you see, okay, these are the best strikers in the world in the last 10 years, for sure. And Vitor Roque is trying to climb a ladder to become a very good striker as well. Uh, he was the best player in the 2005 generation in Brazil, for sure. And one of the things that I really like about him is that he's very mobile. I mean, he's always surrounding the area. He's not every time, every single time inside the 18-yard box. He's surrounding it uh, throughout the, the game. So he can go as a winger. He can go as a second attacker. He can go as a striker. So he's so talented that he can play in a lot of different positions in the attack. And it, this is one of the good things about Vitor Roque. And definitely, I lo I'm looking forward for a rivalry between him and Andy in barcelona Madrid rivalry. I mean, maybe we can make the El Clasico huge again, just like it was in the times of Messi against Cristiano Ronaldo. That was, I mean, we were able to live a time of the uh, time span of football that we actually had a rivalry between two teams and two players. It was amazing to see. And maybe this can happen once again. Uh, if not two players, we can have like uh, a generation battle between, we can see Hendrik, Rodrigo and Vinicius Jr. on one side and now Vitor Roque on the other side. Maybe Gabi as well on the other side. Uh, uh, Gavi on the other side as well. Uh, all of those players from the Barcelona's youth system coming up. Maybe, maybe this can happen for for Barcelona and Real Madrid. I'm looking forward for it. And I do think that Peter Hawk is going to be an immediate impact in the La Liga for sure. Yeah, I cannot wait to see him. I, I think I think you're right. I think he might have a slow start, just all the football he's been playing. But he is so good. And I think give him time and he's going to do exactly what Neymar did which is, you know, the first couple of games, maybe getting into the rhythm. Uh, and and that second season, I think he might he might catch fire. Um, 
Let's talk about some more signings and, and transfers um, in Brazil, in the Brasileiro. Um, wanted to ask you, and take your time with this, but looking back over the 2023 season, who do you think was the best signing or transfer? Uh, I think there's one really obvious one, uh, but in your opinion, uh, who, who do you think was the best signing uh, throughout 2023? Well, it's unanimous that the answer is Luis Suarez, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, man, the guy with most direct participations in goals in the Brasileirão, in the season, actually, not only in the Brasileirão, nobody was uh, more important for scoring goals than Luis Suarez. And when you look at Grêmio's team, it was actually a team that played enough to be fighting against relegation, actually. If it wasn't for Luis Suarez, this team would be battling against the 16th position, maybe or 17th position. He would be, they would be down there for sure. And I worked in a lot of Grêmio's games and they were pathetic to watch, pathetic. And most of the uh, the call-outs from Renato Gaúcho were right. He said that if you guys are not willing to run, I'm not willing to coach as well. So what are you going to do? Because it was pathetic to watch. But Luisito is terrific. I mean, imagine if he had two knees yet, still had two knees, because hey, he's always complaining about some knee pain and something like this because he's already a little bit old and he's not the one that rests a lot. So he's always giving 100% no matter what. He's always running through all the pitch. I mean, that's one of the things that I think everyone is going to enjoy about watching Luisito Suarez play because he's always giving 100%, maybe 110%, because he's always going beyond the line. Sometimes way too much, sometimes a bite over the line sometimes, but... Uh, but it is what it is. He's the best. He was the best signing for the Brazilian football for sure. There's nobody even close to him. Yeah, I think completely agree with that. Yeah, and going back to that knee injury or potential injury, it's funny how him as a player didn't start the career very good at Grêmio. I remember in the Campeonato Gaúcho, probably had like a goal maximum and did not have a, a good match as well when they played Caxias in the final. But overall he played better and better as matches progressed and it makes you think of who Luis Suarez is, where he has been and how he can overcome those challenges playing in the new country because he can have a bad start in the beginning, but over time he can score a lot of goals. And going back to that knee again, I remember discussing with Peter how maybe he's using this knee injury as an excuse to move to Inter Miami back in the summer and then out of nowhere in Copa do Brazil, he scored like an absolute banger against Cruzeiro. And we sort of thought, okay, it's confirmed. His his knee is all good. So he's going to continue. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say exactly the same thing. I remember we were talking about it and him potentially using that as a, as a backdoor. But I thought it spoke a lot about his character. I think there was probably a time where he was thinking, you know, this is not for me. I want to be in Miami on the on the beach with Messi and, and, you know, with, with their families, but spoke so much to his character. He sh uh, stayed for the rest of the year and he's, he's kind of become like an icon for Gremio, maybe not in the grand scheme of things, but certainly the fans adored him and they had every right to. Um, Gabriel, I also want to ask about a few of the newer transfers. I saw you tweet about this one and I'm curious to hear your expanded thoughts. Uh, we saw this week, I think it was just yesterday, Palmeiras announced, uh, former Cruzeiro winger and striker Bruno Rodriguez um, 
as the new signing. And it seemed like you weren't too big on this signing on Twitter, huh? Yeah, I mean, when I look at Palmeiras and their financial situation right now, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, I mean, they can they can have a better player. Definitely they do. But it's been traditional for Palmeiras in the latest years to have a player who we would call uh, a bagre here in Portuguese. I don't <laughs> recall how do we call that in English. I think catfish, right? It's a catfish, yeah, it's a catfish. Yeah. But a catfish in English means a totally different thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we call that, uh, it's actually a player who's not skilled, but can work throughout the game. Mm. And when you look at Palmeiras roster, you can see Breno Lopes, you can see Rony, who are not fan favorites because they are not as technical as people wish they were, but they can resolve everything. They can sometimes score, they can uh, help the team out, and they are very useful. And I do think that every team needs to have a player like this. I'm not sure if Bruno Rodriguez is the right player for this situation in Palmeiras. I see, I can see him, play, him playing very well for Palmeiras, working pretty well for Palmeiras, being useful, scoring a lot of goals, just like Rony and Breno Lopes did. Uh, but I don't agree with the with the philosophy of signing him, especially for the amount that they're saying they're paying for him. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean... He's a player I could see joining Fluminense, maybe, maybe Sao Paulo, back to Sao Paulo, where he didn't have many chances uh, when coach, when the coach was Hernan Crespo. I can see him playing in all, a lot of different teams, even staying at Cruzeiro. Palmeiras, Atlético, Flamengo, those are not the teams I thought I would see him. It's a very good jump for him in terms of uh, his career. I mean, he went from a team fighting against relegation to a team that's fighting for every single title in the year. For him, it's amazing. And I, as I said, the team's so good that he's not definitely going to be useful and going to score a lot of goals and it's going to be good for Palmeiras. I just don't see this transfer making sense. Palmeiras could have done better. They could have chosen a much better player to fill this gap. Yeah, and I think this is one of their first signings for at least a year since Palmeiras buys someone new for their team. And it, even coming from a Santos supporter like me and Peter, it was odd to even look at news that Palmeiras just signed somebody else. So hopefully he turns up better and maybe he's going to replace Roni. His season wasn't the best compared to how he played last year for Palmeiras. But who knows what can happen in the future and maybe Bruno Rodriguez can dominate Palmeiras and maybe bring them more trophies. Now, going from a confirmed transfer to some rumors, uh, Gabigol to Corinthians. Obviously, we've had a lot of snakes moving from Santos to Corinthians lately. We've had Yuri Alberto. We've had Lucas Verissimo, who we were crying to, to get to sign him from Benfica uh, in the past two or three months and he decided to join our rivals. What do you think of Gabi Gold? Do you think he's going to make the move? Is it too early? Uh, should Tite maybe trust him a little bit more? What do you think of his situation in Flamengo? Because no matter how he's playing right now, he's definitely a hero uh, as he won the, the Copa Libertadores in 2019 for them. Yeah, so what he has done the Copa Libertadores, scoring the goals against River Plate. I mean, that's one, one of those things that will be in the memory of every fan throughout the history. I mean, it's not it's not going to be forgotten, for sure. Uh, this season wasn't good for him. Uh, and I do think he's a player who has a huge ego, you know. Uh, I actually have the same first and last name as him. My name is Gabriel Furman, but I also have Barbosa as my name. 
And back in 2011, I guess, I did his first interview ever when he was like 15 years old or 14 years old, something like this. It was the first interview of his career. And it was pretty good to do this interview with him. I called him Gabigol, the go kid from Santos or something like this. I don't recall it anymore. And I saw that he has a huge ego. He's the kind of kid that always will be complaining about something, kind of trying to get in the minds of everyone else. And when I realized that was actually a game between Sao Paulo and Santos in the year under 15 for the Sao Paulo State Championship, Santos was, uh, let's say, Sao Paulo was the underdog for that game. It was the 1996 generation. Sao Paulo had a lot of players playing for the national team, but Santos had Gabigol. And they also had a kid named Lucas Sena back in the time. Uh, actually, no, they had Gabigol. They had uh, Robertinho playing for Santos in that time as well. That didn't came up to be a great player. They had, uh, I think, Neilton. No, Neilton is a, it's a two years younger than him. Older, actually, than him. Neilton is from 1994. Gabigol is from 1996. I'm trying to recall the 996 generation from Santos. I can't remember well him, Robertinho. I don't recall many of the players, but uh, it doesn't matter. And they were favorites against São Paulo. They went to play in Cochia. São Paulo's beat them 6-0. And they, he was so devastated after the game that he went out of the pitch, like uh, doing some gestures, maybe talking to someone in the crowd that I don't recall who it was. It was really weird to see a 15-year-old kid so pissed with a game like this. And going out of the play of the pitch so arrogant like he did, like this shouldn't have happened or something like this. It was weird, weird. They had won the first game 3-1. That's why they were favorites. I recall this right now. They won the first game 3-1. And the second leg, it was they only needed to keep a tie or maybe lose by one go to to go to the final. And Sao Paulo beat then 6-0. And he was so pissed. And that's when I realized he had this huge ego. It would be a tough thing to deal with throughout his career. And it still is. Uh, but I don't think he's going to move to Corinthians. I don't I don't think this is going to happen. I don't think this transfer is ever going to happen. I think he's a very valuable piece of uh, Flamengo's squad. And he can get back on track. I mean, we know what he's capable to do. It's just a bad phase. It happens to everyone. And it's happening to him right now. And they have two pretty good strikers. I mean, who else in the world has Pedro and Gabigol in their team as the strikers. They have two good strikers, and I would try to keep him if I was in Flamengo's board right now, for sure. But if he goes to Corinthians, uh, it's going to be tough for him because the pressure is going to be very, very strong. Not only because it's Gabigol, but because, of course, Yudobert is not living the best moments right now. And they have kind of the same background. They are both product of Sons Academy. So it's going to be a lot of pressure on him to be an immediate impact for Corinthians for sure. All right. Yeah. I, again, I, I would hate to see that. I don't think I wouldn't, don't think you do would. want him back on Santos. What I'd say, Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Attitude... I don't know if it's second division. But... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Attitude and everything. Like, you know, I think that was a big reason why Inter in, uh, in Italy and, and Benfica too. People forget he had that stint there. And I'm pretty sure Benfica sent him back due to attitude issues. Um, and that's why he was back in in, in, in Santos and then Flamengo. Um, but Gabriel, this is so great. Uh, I feel like we could talk for like four more hours, but we absolutely cannot let you go without some big time predictions for next year. Um, 
if you want just maybe some general predictions on uh, Syria, how you feel about certain teams, and then maybe if you want to conclude with, you know, a winner, who do you think is going to win? Um, and, um, and maybe you can talk about Sao Paulo. Maybe we didn't even touch upon uh, Gallo, Atletico Monero. This, uh, they had a crazy, crazy run. Paulinho's excellent. Um, so, yeah, I just opened that up to you. And if you want to make some predictions, and we will not make you get anything tattooed on your butt. If <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, predictions are tough because, I, I mean, who could have expected Sao Paulo to win the Copa do Brasil in 2023? Yeah. That's tough to predict. But we all know that uh, the Brasileirão and the Copa Libertadores and the Copa do Brasil, they will always be uh, closer to Atlético, Flamengo and Palmeiras. These three teams, they are definitely in a different position right now, and not only financially, but in terms of project as well, because they've been doing this for at least four years now. So it's been four years that we see them dominating Brazilian football. So it's tough to see anything different happening in Brazil so far. Uh, so my prediction is that all of them will be in the G4 for the next season for sure. Probably going to the semifinals of the Libertadores. And I mean, what else? In the Copa do Brasil for sure, there's good, they are going to be close to the semifinals once again. I just like the award in this year. Flamengo was in the final. Palmeiras uh, went to the quarterfinals, lost to Sao Paulo. Sadly for them, happily for me. But uh, that's the deal. I think Santos is going to... One of the predictions I'd like to make is about Santos. I don't think you guys are going to get back to the first division immediately. And I'm very sad to say that. I hope, I hope I'm wrong. I'm, def, I'm definitely hoping I'm wrong. I, I said this before. I'm from Guarujá. I'm at Guarujá right now. We're very close to Santos. So I have a lot of Santos fans, friends. Uh, a lot of friends of mine are Santos fans. Not much because even in Santos, we don't have much Santos fans, uh, many Santos fans. I mean, Sao Paulo, Corinthians and Palmeiras still uh, the most have the most supporters down here in the seaside cities, in Guarujá, Santos, São Vicente, Praia Grande, all the cities nearby. Because of that moment, that period in the time, in time spent when Santos didn't have much titles, many titles, especially from 1980, 1989 to 2002, Maybe even even uh, earlier, actually, I think it's 1984 to 2002, actually. So the, because of this time span in my generation, people from 30 to 35 to 36 years old, we don't have many Santos fans. We had only a few of them. Anthony Wells and Eduardo Bispo, they are kind of close to my age. And they are the, probably the only Santos fans close to my age that I know. And I was born and raised in Guarujá, very close to Santos. So it's it's very tough to, to see Santos fans down here. And that's one of the reasons I think that things are going to be tough because when Corinthians go to the Serie B, they bounce back. When Palmeiras goes to the Serie B, they bounce back. Even Cruzeiro, that have a lot of fans and have them in it, they had a tough time bouncing back to the Serie A. And if Santos plays in the in the Villa Belmiro, even when the Villa Belmiro is crowded, it's going to be like six, 14 to 15,000 people, 13,000 people at most. So it's not a very good amount of people and it's gonna not a very good financial thing for Santos. I mean, it's not a very good revenue for, for tickets. And the money from the TV is going to be lower as well. And who had already anticipated some of it. 
So when I look at Santos financially, it's tough to get a project. That's the deal. I think Khalid is the right choice in these terms because he's very defensive. And I do think he's going to be fired any time. It's going to be inevitable. But defensively, he's very good. And good teams begin from defenses. And it's easier to create a good defense than it is to create a good offense. For sure. A good defense is easier to create than a good attack because you need to destroy the plays and it's very it's easier to destroy than to uh, build anything. So that's the deal. I think it's a very good choice if they go with Kareli, with a sign of Kareli, if they give him time and give him the right pieces to create something. But it's going to be very tough for Santos to get back. I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park like it was for some of the teams that got down from the Serie A to the Serie B. I think it's going to be tough. I hope that Santos gets back in the next year, but I don't think this is going to happen. I think we have very good teams in the Serie B and Santos is going to have a very hard time getting back to the Serie A. This is one of the things I can't predict for sure. Yeah, I, I I hate to say it, but I, I think it's going to be tough. And I don't even want to make a prediction. I don't even want to think about it. But I really think that that could be a really, uh, I don't want to say a death blow, but a, a really tough blow to Santos if they don't get right back up. You mentioned all the financial issues. They're even taught, I mean, sponsorship is an issue even in Serie A for Santos. The sponsorship money, like you said, the TV money, the, the stadium deal, I don't know if that's in jeopardy. Um, it really could could really be a tough tough time for them. Yeah, and one of the things that I think Santos should do in the Serie B is playing in São Paulo. They should yeah. play in, at the Pacambu more often. If when Pacambu is back on, uh, maybe play at Morumbi if they want to try to rent Morumbi for a couple of games, especially the major games, because that kind of revenue is going to be very important for Santos to fight for the for the G four in the Serie B and fight for the title. They need this. So if I was in Santos board right now, I, I was going to try to figure out a way to to host most of my games in Sao Paulo rather than in Santos. I love Santos. I love the city. I was born and raised, or actually not born, but I was raised here. I moved down here when I was one month old. So I love here. I love the team. I love the stadium. I've been there a lot of times. And I don't want to see this happening because if Santos don't bounce back, uh, I'm not sure what's gonna happen in the near future. That 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 actually scares me a lot. Yeah, yeah, and 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 just to wrap that that thought up, I think they are talking about using the Pacambu. Um, but yeah, and if they don't bounce right back up, I think also that there might be a bit of a vault, and they might end up as an SAF, um, as we've seen, is a way just to get money and investment in the door and. Um, you know, who knows where that leads? Um, it could be good. It could be bad. So uh, we'll have to find out. Um, Gabriel, once again, thank you so much for joining. Where can people find your stuff if they want to follow you on Twitter? Maybe they're Portuguese speaking. Um, I know you've done comedy. Where can they find that stuff? Where, you know, where can people find you and and, and see what you're doing? So uh, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, the at is the same, at Gabriel, F-U-H, Gabriel Fu, F-U-H. Uh, I also have an account in English. It's Gabriel, F-U-H, underline E-N. I don't post that much often because there's not much interaction. In my Portuguese account, there's much more interaction than that. But if people start interacting them, I'm all there to answer questions, to talk to people over there and to interact with everyone because I really like this kind of exchange that we have here because 
Uh, you guys bring some thoughts. I bring some thoughts as well. And we combine them to create a debate and to create new thoughts. That's one of the things I like the most about the internet. So I'm always, always up to discussion, to debating about Brazilian football and football in the world, for sure, because I love it. It's it's my passion, football, American football, sports at all in general. Um, I'm finishing my physical education course right now. I'm studying a bachelor's degree in physical education to become a coach because I can't coach Santos yet. <laughs> I need to I need to wait a little bit. I need to have the CBF Academy courses. I and next year I'm gonna be able to to get the C license here in Brazil because mm -hmm. I'm gonna be in the last year of the physical education degree, so I can join the the coaches over there. That's the reason you need to be in the in the final year of your physical education college or have been a player for more than 10 years. Mm. That's the the thing considering as well your time in youth levels. So I wasn't a player, not even close to that. So I need to study a little bit more if I want to be a coach in the future. So I'm still studying a lot to become a better color commentator, a better commentator as well. And to I'm studying English a lot more as well, so I can become better for every Brazilian play fan around the world. I know we have some criticizing in social media sometimes about accent, about vocabulary, uh, but it is what it is, right? All Brazilians trying to show up a little bit of the Brazilian football for you guys. That's all, and we're trying our best to to take this from Brazil to the world because. I think the more popular Brazilian football gets around the world, more people will watch us and the better Brazilian football is going to get. Well, I think you're an excellent commentator and talking about the accent, I have an accent too, so I'm not the best speaking English, but thanks thanks for being here, Gabriel. We really enjoyed this. We shared football ideas and hopefully we can have you back here soon. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, it was a pleasure to be here with you. I hope to see you guys in the next Brazilian season as well. And Anytime you guys want me to join you for this podcast, you can just send me a message. I'm be more than glad to join you for this debate because it's always awesome. And as I said before, keep an eye to Stephen William because this is going to be the wonder kid in Brazil. But luckily for every Santos fan in the world, we can clearly see Angelo developing himself in Europe right now. He's been outstanding and maybe he's going to be transferred to some team, some some other team and give a lot of money to Santos because <laughs> you guys are going to need it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, ending on a positive. I love it. All right. Thanks again, Gabriel. And thanks everyone for listening. Uh, have a great night.